Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In 1991, director Kevin Reynolds and star Kevin Costner gave the world a zany and earnest interpretation of our favorite socialist bandit. In 2024, we return to Scotland to try another 12-year single malt. The film is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. The whiskey is Glen Moray, 12-year. And we'll review them both. This is The Film Film and Whiskey Whiskey Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to the Film and Whiskey Podcast, where each week we review a classic movie and a glass of whiskey. I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And this week, Brad, we are really testing the limits of what can be called a classic movie, because we're watching a movie (laughs) that most people I know have never heard of, and apparently a lot of people in 1991 saw and then forgot about, and that is Mm -hmm. Robin Hood, colon, Prince of Thieves. Not to be confused with Robin Hood Men in Tights, which is what you thought it was for most of the season eight preview episode. I sure did. Yeah, Robin Hood Men in Tights, I have seen. I don't remember almost anything about it. Well, I don't want to tip my hand too much, Brad, but I might as well just lay my cards on the table here. Uh, I would have much preferred that we watched Robin Hood Men in Tights. Not <laughs> you like your uh, your Robin Hood to be played by Carrie Ellis. I sure do. Not man. by Kevin Costner. Not by Kevin Costner. <laughs> Uh, Brad, if there's one overarching note I can give on this movie, even before we get into any of its content or anything else, um, perms, perms and feathered hair. There's just incredible. There's a lot of big hair going on in this movie. Yeah, there's all the Alan Rickman you want. Mm. This is, without a doubt, a movie where capital C choices (laughs) are made every (laughs) second of the film. Yes, (laughs) By every actor, every like every shot of the film, it's all just big, big choices. I was going to say, I think there have to be in or out. I think there's (laughs) capital C choices going on in the acting department. I think there is no choice whatsoever going on behind the camera. It it looks like (laughs) utter chaos. And then you just see Alan Rickman kind of like run in the frame every now and then and do his best Disney villain and then run out again. And it is. A wild experience. I should say up front, folks, Brad and I, both of us, or rather neither of us, had seen this movie before, what, yesterday? Uh, Yeah, I think I watched it over the last two days. Yeah, man. Uh, (laughs) It should also be said that the only available version that we could find to watch is the two hour and 35 minute extended cut, which... I say this like at least once a year because these stupid studios keep doing this. I think it's mostly (laughs) Warner Brothers. They'll release an extended cut of a movie and then it becomes the standard cut. Like it's the only version that they put out on Blu-ray or put on streaming. The theatrical cut of this movie is two hours and 21 minutes. 
And this extended cut is not advertised as some sort of director's cut. It's not some definitive edition. They just threw more footage in the movie, and now they're like, this is it. This is the one you get. And man, oh man, would I like those 13 minutes back, Brad. I loved every minute of it, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know what 13 minutes it was, but I imagine in my little heart that there's no way this film could have worked without it. Mm. Well, uh, one could argue that the film did not work with it either. <laughs> Brad, I really, I have no idea where you're actually at on this movie. Uh, I, I'm already coming out strongly against the film. This was, wild is the only word I can use to describe it, because it's, I'm going to collect my thoughts. Before we get into talking about the movie <laughs> itself, folks, we're in the middle of a season where we are reviewing the highest grossing films of each year from 1988 to 2019. Now, the actual highest grossing movie of 1991 was something uh, Terminator 2, which we've done already on this show. And it was the highest grossing film by a wide margin. But the second highest grossing film of the year was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Mm. Can you imagine like going to a drive in in 1991 and watching these movies back to back? (laughs) No, I can't, man. (laughs) Because first of all, (laughs) that that would be five hours long. (laughs) <laughs> That'd be a wild experience, <laughs> man. I have never been more grateful to James Cameron than I was after watching this movie, because it's one thing yeah. for this movie to be the second highest grossing film of the year. But if this was the film that 1991 was hanging its hat on, I think we'd have to really sit down and have a, a much more serious discussion. <laughs> yeah, what's what's going on in the early 90s? <laughs> All right, folks, as we get into talking about today's movie. Just a reminder, we would love for you to subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. It really helps us out. It gets us more exposure. It kind of bumps us up the rankings on all the podcast platforms. So if Film and Whiskey is doing it for you, hit that subscribe button. You can also follow us on all of our social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, at Film Whiskey. We're in all the places, folks. We sure Come are. Come find us. We, we sure are, man. Bob, do we... Do we actually want to rise the podcast charts? Is that like our goal in life? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. What's what are All your right. goals in life? Uh raise really nice kids. Nah. Make enough money to, you know, survive sure, in tough economic sure. times. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm kind of the everyman, Bob. Well, we can't help you raise kids, Brad, but we can help you get some money if we get bumped up these podcast charts. So folks, hey. help fund Brad's children's childhood. By subscribing mm. to our podcast. <laughs> and with that, Brad, it's time for us to get into our first segment of the day, which we call Brad Explains. Brad's going to give us the movie plot with only 60 seconds ticking on the clock. So let's go ahead and hear your take with this little segment that we call Brad Explains. Brad Explains is the part of the podcast where Brad breaks down the plot of the movie that he has just seen, often for the first time. Now, we are in the rare position of this being the first time both of us have seen this movie. So, Brad, uh, I will not give you any crap for what you say or omit today, because you're you're doing just as well as I could do in summarizing <laughs> this film. Before you get into Brad Explains, let me ask you this. Is it just me or, like, could you really summarize this movie in about one sentence? Like, it doesn't seem like the plot is is very convoluted, right? Yeah, I mean, honestly... You could summarize it in two words. Robin Hood. It's just Robin Hood, bro. It's just Robin Hood. <laughs> like, I, I I, I might take my 60 seconds. I might just say, 
Have you ever heard of the classic Robin Hood story? Okay, all of it is in here. Like, to a T. I think the only addition is, like, black magic and witchcraft and, like, following the old gods. That's, like, the only thing I can think of that, like, at the very least, I have never heard of in relation to the classic Robin Hood story. Mm -hmm. Other than that, it's all there, Bob. I mean, it's all there, but it's all been very purposely tweaked, too. Like, it's not presented the way it is in the original Robin Hood, but the characters show up. So it's like, I don't know. We'll talk about it. Brad, you have 60 seconds on the clock. Also, you're you're totally allowed to spoil this movie. There is a surprise appearance by a, a very famous actor at the end of the movie <laughs> making Bro. an uncredited cameo. I don't know if we want to spoil that yet, but if you want to get into it, man, it's all you. So, folks, if you really... Really want to watch this Robin Hood film? Uh, hit pause here. Join us afterwards. Brad's going to spoil the movie. One minute on the clock and go. Robin Hood, colon, Prince of Thieves is a film about Robin Hood becoming the Prince of Thieves. Right? Am I right, Bob? Yeah. 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 It follows every single Robin Hood trope you can think of. He comes back from the Crusades. He finds his lands taken by the Sheriff of Nottingham. He forms a band of merry men after getting in a fight with them. He falls in love with Miriam. Marion? Made Marion. Made Marion. Mar- yeah, made Marion. And he takes from the rich and he gives it to the poor. And the sheriff punishes the poor for that. And so more join his band. And there's battles and combat. And he shoots a bow and arrow and just is awesome. Mm. He's just the coolest. I will I will mention. He also has Morgan Freeman as his Moorish sidekick in the film, who might be my favorite character of the movie. Like, far and away the most sophisticated and cool, and he has the biggest sword, and it's just awesome. Can I, I'll I'll, I'll say this, Bob. Morgan Freeman simply says, I'm going to perform a C-section on this woman. I've seen it done on a horse before. And he does it successfully. <laughs> that's the kind of movie we're talking about here. Brad, it sounds so like this movie. That's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I was going to say, it sounds like this movie is falling into a very specific category for you. And it's a category that's near and dear to my heart and the heart of every man over 25, probably. And that is the category that we call dudes rule, where yeah. dudes do cool <laughs> stuff and the movie rules. Yes. Yeah. This movie is the most zany, earnest, funny, ridiculous, like fill in with whatever adjective you want. This movie is over the top. Uh, The script is asinine and ridiculous. And I came into it thinking, oh, this is like an early 90s historical drama. Yeah, me too. It's going to suck. Like, uh, here's my comparison. What's the uh, the Daniel Day Lewis movie that we watched at the end oh, of the season? Last six? of the Mohicans. Last of the Mohicans. Last of the Mohicans is what I thought this movie was going to be. Mm-hmm. Like a little too serious, really long and boring, and ultimately uninspiring. Mm-hmm. That is not what this movie no. was, Bob. <laughs> this movie. I was like twenty five minutes in, and I was like, "This is a bad movie." It's so bad. 
but I'm having more fun watching this film than I have any film in probably over a year. I don't know if I've ever laughed as hard and been like drawn in by the action and just every big decision they made worked for me in this film. And I don't know why it did because it's a wildly inept film. But man, oh man, is it fun. I think this is going to be a fun episode because usually when we disagree on a movie, it's it's because one of us feels very passionately and is like defending our honor. And I will say that that is not me. But I also will say I absolutely hated this movie. This movie was (laughs) horrible, like just every decision did not work. And it you know, we we talked about witchcraft a little bit, and I think the, the best analogy to use is like a witch's brew of multiple genres that they're trying to do like there is some of that historical drama there is some of that sort of stately you know uh landscape shots and you get like the the braveheart romance element and i thought it was going to be more like braveheart but a robin hood movie Mm -hmm. and it is not that man it's like there's there's silly slapstick humor and there's political intrigue, but then there's also like really stilted dialogue and really wooden acting and then really campy acting. And it's like this movie has no idea what it wants to be. And I think if we can just talk on like technical terms for a second, Brad, the thing mm-hmm. that was really jarring about this movie is how badly shot it is. It is like the ugliest movie. And from from shot to shot, there's so much weird handheld camera going on. The framing is really weird. There's a bunch of extreme close-ups that are shot with, like, a weird wide-angle lens. So it looks like it has that distorted Kubrick effect. But then the next shot will be, like, just a regular anamorphic lens. And it's just beautiful. You know, it looks like <laughs> Aragorn and Arwen standing in the forest together. And, and then, like, it'll cut back to, like, this weird fisheye lens of alan rickman up in your face it like it makes no sense and it felt like they had to shoot this movie in three days and just reading the wikipedia about it i guess like it was very famously publicized back in 1991 this movie was crammed into like a 10-week production schedule so they had no time Mm -hmm. to rehearse they had little time to revise and i think it shows man (laughs) <laughs> you can uh, yeah you can definitely tell that this movie was rushed i think that it's to the movie's benefit <laughs> oh come on man <laughs> i 100 percent think that this is an example of like why clint eastwood is like hailed as a great director because he just takes the first thing he gets and moves on and it's a very honest take i think that if you had time to rehearse this it would get a little more serious yeah. a little more polished And I don't think that that would be good for this film. Like, Mm -hmm. this movie needs to be a little bit sloppy and rushed to be enjoyable. If it took the super serious route, I don't think it would be be that much fun. I I agree with that. And this movie doesn't have the potential to be a brave heart. Yeah, it doesn't have the potential (laughs) to be that. So just be as bad and rushed as you can be because it's way more enjoyable. I feel like there is a happy medium, though, because you're right. I think the ceiling for this movie, based on how awful the script is, is like a six, maybe. And that's if you have like Spielberg directing it, you know, and I was thinking as I was watching this, Spielberg could make it a seven. Come on. This came out the same year as Hook, 
which is also, Ooh. you know, it's a movie that's very beloved from when you and I were children, but was mm-hmm. critically panned and, and also has a pretty bad script. But like the way Spielberg shot that movie, the way he uses the sets, it just looks like a movie. And I'm watching the action in this movie. And there's a scene like, I don't know, a half hour in. It's the first time we're introduced to Marion. And she's like coming at Kevin Costner, who plays Robin Hood, with uh, like a pitchfork or something. And they're kind of like <laughs> like sparring with each other. But the the shots are from like the point of view of the person holding like a pitchfork. And so you just see like a pitchfork at the end of the camera and like chasing <laughs> Kevin Costner's face. And it's, it, yep. it has this weird, like, Sam Raimi, Evil Dead kind of look to it, where it's like, <laughs> it looks like you're shooting this on a shoestring budget, but the movie cost $50 million to make. And and so anyway, all that to say, I'm with you in that I think that if they had more time to nail down what does what should the movie look like, how should it flow, it would have been too kind of stately and stoic. But I also think that there's like a wackier version of this movie that I would enjoy even more. And right now it feels like on certain days they wanted to go the serious route. And on other days they were like, I don't know, just do whatever you want. I don't think it was on other days. I think it was on days that Alan Rickman was on camera. Because <laughs> my boy Allie Rick did not give I'm sorry. two hoops. I'm sorry, Allie Rick? Is that it? Yeah, my, that's my, my boy, okay. Allie Rick. Okay, Tom Haverford. <laughs> chicky chicky parm parm here <laughs> he just didn't give a rip Mm-mm. about what was on the script and what they wanted him to do he had a very specific idea of how he wanted to play the sheriff of nottingham and boy did he do it <laughs> it's really funny because reading reviews of the movie from 91 they panned like everything about the movie they're like the script mm-hmm. sucks kevin costner's bad there's like the accent goes in and out in a really weird way but alan rickman gives a legitimately good performance and watching the film i don't know that i agree with that yeah but he definitely gives the most consistent and committed performance yes he is very consistent and very committed <laughs> <laughs> that is a great way to describe it. Like he just has so many incredible lines and and moments where like somebody drew a scar on a statue of him very clearly in Sharpie, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize they had Sharpies in 12th century England, <laughs> but it's very obviously a Sharpie. He like sees it and like j- just like I, it's almost like he's like a slime that like oozes up to the statue and tries to rub it off with a cloth. Mm-hmm. And then he just like, I, it, I can't even describe the way he like picks himself up and runs off into the next room after he's unable to, to scrub off the scar. And it just is wild and over the top. And I think it kind of gives a baseline foundation for how you should view this movie. All right, I I never mean or I never want to make light of the very serious topic of like sexual assault. So, you know, I guess, you know, yes, trigger warning, whatever. But like the end of the movie involves Alan Rickman and uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, who plays Maid Marian up in the castle getting forcibly wed uh, under pressure from his mom, who is also a witch. Uh, who wants him to forcibly impregnate her immediately 
because she knows they're both going to get killed and she wants the lineage to live on and wants a son that will become a king. And so they're rushing this wedding so that he can immediately mount her. Yep. And man, if that isn't the single craziest sequence of events I have ever seen in a movie, like (laughs) it's kind of being played for laughs. It's kind of being played for suspense. You've got Alan Rickman like doing this weird contortion so that he can like squeeze his legs in between her legs and like prop them open and he's oh, on top brutal. of her and his mom's bending over them and he's saying I can't do this with you watching me I'm like what on earth is going on in this movie how did this make it to set did they write this the day of because it is freaking wild Brad it feels like a YouTube short just waiting to be made of like the same guy playing Alan Rickman and the director and Alan Rickman's like, okay, what are we doing today? It's like, all right, you're going to take Maid Marian, and you're going to use your knees to force hers apart. And Rickman's like, I'm sorry, right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what? I'm... <laughs> also, your mom's watching. Also, your mom, who is a witch that isn't actually a witch, because black magic isn't real, but it's kind of real, but then it's not, is going to be like hanging over your shoulder, touching her belly, saying, her womb is ready for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think she says she's ripe. Is that what she says? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what she yeah. says. Yep. Bob, this movie is insane. I like and here's the thing. By the time you get to that point of the film, if you're bought into the movie, it just makes sense. You're like, yeah, sure. Why not? This is happening now. I, I don't know why it would. <laughs> that's a hundred percent true. At, at that logical point, conclusion. I was like, at that point, I was just like, okay, like this. For me to talk about it out of context sounds even more wild than it actually was to see in the movie, because, like, (laughs) it is truly wild. But at that point, I was just like, I guess this is where we're going now. Yeah. But like I said, 30, 40 minutes before Morgan Freeman performs a C-section on a woman after saying that he's seen it done on horses. So. All right. Let's, why, why not, Bob? Let's talk about Morgan Freeman for a second. We're all over the place today, but it is in the spirit of this film. So. Morgan Freeman, an African-American actor, is mm-hmm. playing an Arab. And man, uh, is that accent rough? And yeah. also, like, why? Why are we doing this? Why are we bring like it's this weird early 90s, you know, like let's let's hold hands across nations theme that just did not work at all. Mm-hmm. We return from the Crusades with the guy you were like fighting against in the Crusades, and now he's like indebted to you. And like, we're gonna call him an infidel throughout the whole movie. And it's kind of funny, but it also is pointing out the inherent racism of the English people. It's like that whole character was unnecessary. I would rather there just be an unexplained black person in England. (laughs) I don't know, man. I, A, I think that they give him some of the funniest lines in the film and his interactions with Kevin Costner are just hilarious throughout the whole movie. B, I like it feels so obvious. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but they continually set him up as the most respectable human being of any person who comes on screen. Mm hmm. And they consistently set him up as the most intelligent person on screen. And and he's capable in combat and all these things. Like, he's literally the Mary Sue of sidekicks. Yes. Right? 
And so it's like, is that too on the nose where it's like actually racist or is it like good because, you know, we're trying to break the trope of, you know, often in movies, African-Americans are the least intelligent and least capable and all these things. And like, I don't know if going too far in the other direction is a thing, but they if it is a thing, they do it here. But can you go too far in the direction of making someone awesome? And I guess to be fair, you know, I said that he's playing an Arab and that's not really true. He was fighting on the side of the Arabs in the Crusades, but they go to great lengths to say he's a Moor. He's a Moor. That's Mm -hmm. how we're explaining that he's black. So like, okay, I guess. But but also like this is a very, very weird shoehorned in character. And Brad, I mean, but Bob. Here's the deal, Bob. Go ahead. His sword is awesome. (laughs) That's the reason for him to be in this movie. Come on, dude. He has the biggest sword I've ever seen in my life. It's incredible. (laughs) I do feel like there are elements of this movie that either in the script writing or the script revision, there were just dudes sitting in a room and they were like, what are your favorite movies? Yes. (laughs) And they're like, what are your favorite movies? And one of them said, Lawrence of Arabia. You know yeah. how Alec Guinness is in that and he's like a white guy, but he's playing like an Arab sheik. Let's do that. Who do you want for that? Oh, let's get Morgan Freeman. We can get him in there somewhere. <laughs> and then they were like, oh, man, you know that scene in Ben-Hur after Ben-Hur comes home for the first time and his house is like trashed and like his old yep. his old yep. servant guy is just like hanging out like, oh, your parents are, are lepers now. And they're like, let's just do that scene again. And that entire scene is just like verbatim lifted from Ben-Hur and put into this movie. <laughs> it's flattery, man. Theft. What, what do they say? Theft is the the highest form of flattery. Uh, yeah. Imitation is the imitation form of flattery. It's go. not, yeah. though, in this it's... case. It's just truly, <laughs> truly appalling and offensive to both of those movies. Oh, man, there is a lot going on in this film, Bob. I, do we need to drink some whiskey in order to keep going on? Yeah, I feel like I have many more complaints to make. We haven't even talked about the star of the film yet, but I think I need some fuel to get through this conversation. So let's go over to Scotland, Brad, and drink this Glen Moray. What do you say? I don't know, man. I think we need to go visit Friar Tuck. <laughs> he very, very clearly has the goods. Let's get to it, man. All right, so today we are checking out Glen Moray 12-Year. This is a Speyside single malt scotch. A few weeks ago, Brad, we drank a whiskey called Old Pulteney, which was a Highland scotch. And the only reason that I mention that is because we kind of broke down our thoughts on Highland versus Speyside scotches. And we said that Speyside has tended for us to be the most delicate of scotches. They're not usually peated and they have like just a very bright character to them. And I really like it when we kind of go between Highland and Speyside because I just can't tell which one I like better from day to day. I'm really looking forward to diving into this. But when I went to pull this down off of my my whiskey shelf, Brad, the Glen Moray and the Old Pulteney, I noticed are essentially identical boxes, like one's blue and one's white. But the font is almost exactly the same. The number 12 is in the same spot on both boxes. And I was convinced for 30 seconds that I had pulled the wrong whiskey down. And I was like, we just drank this. Uh, So (laughs) thanks a lot, Old Pulteney and Glenn Moray. And, you know, redesign your packaging because it's confusing. 
As I say, a lot of the scotch boxes kind of fall into that category, though. Mm-hmm. There, there's definitely a brand imitation there. Yeah, and then all the all the bourbon brands make it look like uh, an old stamp made by the Pony Express that they just yep. put on their bourbon. <laughs> Every, everything looks like that now, man. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. That's like the vibe that you get. It's like we've been around since 1747. All right, so I don't know much about this Glenmore. Like I said, it is a Speyside single malt. I don't know anything about like what kind of barrels it was aged in. On the bottle, it just says American Oak. I'm assuming that means they're ex-bourbon casks, but we don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. This is a 40% ABV or 80 proof whiskey, and that's about all I have to go on, Brad. So let's dive in. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, this is a very fine whiskey. Mm. It's fine. That, that's that's my final notes on it. My nosing notes are that this smells like honeycomb, crushed walnuts, lemon zest, and it's a little bit herbaceous. It's okay. Six I, and a half. I really like this. this. Is This is very, very bright. You know, and we use that Ooh. word bright, especially with Irish whiskeys. But it's it's really sweet and it's really fruity. There's melon on this. I get that lemon zest. It almost smells like uh, like champagne a little bit to me, Brad. It has that kind of like really bright grape nose to me. I'm liking this a lot. I'm hoping that it kind of carries this forward because once in a while, you know, we'll drink a whiskey and the nose is really bright and then the flavor is like all bitter malt. <laughs> and that just pisses me off. So I'm hoping that it continues through. I have not actually taken a sip yet, but just on the nose, I'm going to give it a 7.5. Yeah, the the palate was solid, not overwhelmingly good. I got some mixed nuts. The The honey really came through nicely. It is a decently grainy drink. Uh, the barley comes through. And the more I spent time with it, the more I got really a really nice nutty toffee feel from this. Um, it's It's solid. It's decent. I'll give it a 7 out of 10 here. Wow, it's not often, Brad, that the multi character of a scotch reminds me of drinking like a, a really bitter beer. Uh, not like yeah. an IPA, but like a really like a cheap beer, you know, and you just taste yeah. the the malt even more than the hops. The aftertaste on this, and I guess I'll I'll put that in finish, but like I went to swallow and it was like, oh, that's like when I have fallen asleep with a beer like next to me on the couch and I wake up three hours later from a nap and I'm like, Oh, I'll finish that beer now. And then it's like warm and cheap tasting. This tastes like that. And that freaking sucks because this nose was beautiful. The flavor on the palate is not like awful, but it is like it's, it's malt and it's a little bit spicy. It's more prickly than I expected it to be. I don't get a lot of sweetness on this. I'm just going to give it a six on the palate. And then I'm going to give it a five and a half on the finish. Ooh, man. That, yeah, that's you're getting down there, Bob. I, I actually kind of liked the finish. Uh, for me, it was like a white pepper, saline, a little bit of mint, kind of that spicy oak coming through. Um, I gave it a seven on the finish. I, I think it's decent. Uh, for me, the balance is kind of like. I don't know, man, there, there's not a ton going on here. It's okay flavors throughout. I give it a six and a half on balance. Sometimes I think that we should change the name of the balance category to consistency because that's kind of what we mean. Hmm, Yeah. You know, it's like when you have a nose that is as bright and as fruit forward and as sweet smelling as this one, 
and then you pair it with a taste and a finish that are from a completely different whiskey, that's not balanced to me. Now, somebody else might define balance differently, but what we mean by balance on this show is kind of that consistency. From nose to taste to finish, how does it hold up? Does anything stand out in a positive or negative way? I think that the taste and finish on this in a vacuum are not terrible. Mm -hmm. But when you pair them up with what you're promised on the nose, they are pretty bad to me. And I think this is a really poorly balanced whiskey by that definition. I'm going to give it, again, a five and a half on balance. Bob, would you pay 40-ish dollars for this whiskey? I would not, Brad. And uh, I think that I didn't. I think this is a OHLQ last call bottle from a couple years ago. But I still paid in the 30s, I think, for it. And I still think that's too high. I mean, it's 12-year single malt. So, like, you yeah. can only sell it for so cheap just by what the category is. But this is one of the worst 12-year-plus single malts <laughs> that I've tried on this show, Brad. Yeah. See, I, I, I think that's a little harsh for what I drank. I, I think it's decent. I think it hits a certain spot. Um, I think a $40, $40 bottle here, it's like a 6 out of 10 value. Not great, but not terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob, I'm coming to a 33 out of 50 here. Where are you at? Well, I haven't actually given it a value score here. <sighs> Man, it's hard because like, you know, like we said, it's in the category. It's one of the cheaper ones, but I still think it's a bad value. I'm going to give it a five out of 10 on value and I'm coming out to a 29.5 out of 50 by far Ooh. my lowest rated of the season so far. You said you're at a what? A 33? 33 out of 50. Yep. That takes us to a 62.5 out of 100 or a 31.25 out of 50. I I mean, I just don't, I obviously don't recommend this. Brad, would you recommend it? No, I don't think so. Mm. I I think it's an okay space side. It just doesn't give you everything you want out of a space side. Um, So there's definitely not enough here to make me enthusiastic about it. So between this and its identical twin on the shelf, Old Pulteney, uh, I'm I'm wholeheartedly going Old Pulteney over yeah, this. Hundred percent. Yeah, the Old Pulteney. I want to say that I came to like I don't know forty out of fifty. It was pretty I good. I really man. liked that. Yeah. So what you're telling me is, if I really want to get this bottle off my shelf, that you I shouldn't just give it to you. Yeah, you can give it to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of the perfect whiskey to pair with this movie because it is two completely different things trying to coexist at the same time. Uh, uh, so, Brad, go. why don't we carry that theme back into talking about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? Let's get to it. All right, everybody. That was Glenn Murray 12, Boo. a whiskey that left us wanting, Bob. Boo. And now we're going to get back into talking about Robin Hood, which also I say, boo, this is a perfect pairing, Brad. (laughs) I was going to say, do you know what has never left me wanting, Bob? Is it two facts and a falsehood? It sure is. Two facts and a falsehood, everybody. The part of the show where I stump Bob with a lie hidden among two truths. Brad is going to try to stump you, Bob, to our right. And what is wrong? Two facts and a falsehood. Brad, I am two and one on the season. I did get stumped last week, but the first two weeks, I I felt you out a little bit. You kind of buried last week's, as I remember. It was like fact number three. And facts number one and two were so interesting 
that they distracted me from your poorly written fact number three. I will not make that mistake again today, Brad. Uh, my, Although I will say, I just don't care. Like, you could tell me anything about this movie, and after watching the wild ending to this movie, I'll just be like, sure. <laughs> yeah, that sounds not? plausible. Anything could have happened on the set of this movie, and I would buy it. I that is definitely a true statement. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, hit me with your two facts and a falsehood. Fact number one, Michael McShane, who plays Friar Tuck, is a celebrated voice actor in the video game community, voicing characters in games such as World of Warcraft, Final Fantasy VII, and Resident Evil 4. Hmm. Fact number two, most of the songs the characters sing or hum within the movie are actual medieval melodies. For example, the song Friar Tuck sings is set to the tune of a song called Bacche Bene Venice from the 13th century Codex Baranus. Fact number three, Richard Griffiths, famous for playing the beloved Uncle Vernon in the Harry Potter series, passed on playing Friar Tuck, leading to Michael McShane's casting in the role. Hmm. I will say that there, the the guy that plays Little John in this movie, and I don't know that we'll get around to him, so let me indulge me for a second. Yeah. He is made up like a children's doll. The first time I saw him in the river, like attacking Kevin Costner, they cut to him, mm-hmm. and my man is just wearing rouge, and he, he has like, you know, mascara on, yeah. and those big, yeah. beautiful eyes. I'm like, this is not a real person. What is going on here? I found myself watching him thinking, I don't know if I've ever seen a more burly, effeminate man. He looks like if you made a Cabbage Patch doll of Hagrid. <laughs> yes! That's that what he looks like. Good... <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, Dude, it's so if... disorienting. If we had a plushy product line yes. here in the Film Whiskey podcast, <laughs> Hagrid as Little John, would that would be it. Well, so anyway, the you know, you're talking about Richard Griffiths from Harry Potter. I kept thinking, man, how much better would Little John have been if it was Robbie Coltrane who plays Hagrid? Because yep. this is yep. a very Hagrid role. Anyway, yeah. all that to say, uh, I'm going to say that the Richard Griffiths fact is the falsehood it might be number two but like i would imagine that they sang at least some medieval stuff in this movie so i'm gonna say fact number three is the falsehood brad bob you are the picture of mediocrity oh, at 500 no. oh facts number two and three were both true oh man okay so what was it the voice acting one uh-huh okay yeah, Michael McShane was a voice actor in video games, but he came nowhere near those three and isn't like well known for his voice acting. Oh, but. F you, man. I hate when you do this to me. So he <laughs> was a voice actor. You just made up the games. Uh, I made up the games. He's not a celebrated voice actor. Oh, like that's petty, those, dude. Wait, hold on. Fast. I'm opening up his Wikipedia. Hold on. Hold, okay. Hold on a second here, Bob. Would it have made a difference if he never voice acted in a video game in his life? Well, I thought that when you made up the fact, you made up everything about the fact. I didn't know you would just tweet. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. He did voice acting in Final Fantasy X and Final Fantasy X 2. Like, he was in some celebrated games. It says he was, he like, he provided voice work for a bunch of movies. And? And I'm suing. That's what I, I want my win. <laughs> I hate when you Bob, do this, you, man. You knew absolutely nothing about this man 
10 seconds ago. <laughs> I don't, don't like it when like you do it, this. Don't act like it would have changed your uh, your vote here. It wouldn't have. I just prefer that you like make up the whole fact instead of being oh, like, okay. you know. Uh. <laughs> All right. Let's move back into talking about this movie, which I'm super excited to do. Yeah. I, let's talk about Kevin Costner, man. Let's we haven't do talked it, man. about him. Out of every single character in this movie, he makes the smallest capital C choices. Yeah, yeah, he makes the least impression of anyone in this film. Yeah, it's it's wild how boring he is. He is incredibly maybe, boring. Maybe it's because everybody else is so, like just hamming it up. Mm-hmm. But I liked his performance. It just didn't stand out in a movie where you needed to stand out. Kevin Costner has was often compared in his day and still is to Gary Cooper, you know, a, a man of somewhat limited acting range, but who embodies the spirit of America and earnestness and integrity. And I think it's a really good comparison. I've also learned I was just listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about how he dropped out of the show Yellowstone in which he stars and over contract negotiations, but they were talking about how Kevin Costner is kind of a notorious ass in Hollywood. Mm. And I will say, I always assumed he was a nice guy because his on-screen persona is so effective. He has so effectively cultivated that persona that I just always assumed he was a real down-to-earth nice guy. Now, having learned that he is apparently a jerk, I I have no problems talking about how bad he is in this movie, Brad, because he's just (laughs) not that good. He's too old for the part based on how old Robin Hood is supposed to be. I like he he apparently wanted to do an accent and the director said, don't worry about it. And so in like from scene to scene, Costner would try to sneak in a bit of an accent. Sometimes he's Irish. Sometimes he's Scottish. Most of the time he's from California. Like it's just (laughs) it's really bad, dude. And it would be forgivable You know, people always give Dick Van Dyke crap about his bad Cockney accent in Mary Poppins. But the thing is, if you can set the accent aside, the performance is delightful. Dick Van Dyke is so good. He's also very committed to the accent. Yes. Like he he goes all out on a bad accent in every single scene. And the bad accent doesn't really change scene to scene. Sure. So like, you know, it's a bad accent, but he's committed. Right. The problem is Kevin Costner is incredibly boring, and this is a nothing character. Like, there's just nothing to him in this movie. I yeah. don't I don't want to follow him into battle. And it got to the point later on in the movie where you realize why Christian Slater's in the movie, because he's just kind of there for a little while. And you're like, that's Christian Slater. <laughs> he's one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. What's he doing in this tiny, tiny role? And by the end of the film, I was like, oh, there's the charisma. Like, I would follow Christian Slater into battle. He should be Robin Hood, not Kevin Who, Costner. Who's Christian Slater? He's the guy that plays his his brother. Ah, little little Will, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a famous Hollywood actor? Oh, yeah, especially in the late 80s, early 90s. Ah, that's probably why I've never heard of him in my life. You've never heard of Christian Slater? No. Oh, interesting. Okay. Nah. <laughs> Not a single time. Wow. I would imagine that not many people in the film and whiskey audience have Bob. I, I mean, I don't know, man. He was he was like legitimately a movie star for a good long while. Man, yeah, I, he kind of reminds me of uh, who's the the hot TV actor from the '90s that played in like I think the OC. He's got three oh, names. Oh, uh, yeah, the dad. What is his name? 
Peter something. No, no, it's like Michael Christian, Christian Michael something. He reminded me of him is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) That's all. Okay, cool. He was a nothing character. Uh, (laughs) Did, wasn't impressed by him. Didn't make an impression. And I've never heard of him before, so we should move on from him, Bob. All right, anyway, I was just saying, I thought that he was a more charismatic (laughs) actor and character than Kevin Costner. Let's get back on how bad Kevin Costner is. Yes. Why do you think Kevin Costner watched Alan Rickman, Michael McShane, Cabbage Patch Doll, uh, John Little, like all of these actors just go over and beyond anything that the director probably asked them to do and just turn in ridiculous performances. And Kevin Costner was like, you know, I'm just going to be Bruce Willis from The Sixth Sense and have like RBF in every single scene. <laughs> what, what do you think was going on in his acting process here? It's really funny, too, because just, you know, reading like the Wikipedia on this movie, which is all I cared to do. I did not dive deep in my research, Brad. Uh, the director of this film had apparently worked with Kevin Costner in the past. He was a, I wouldn't call him like the assistant director, but he helped direct uh, a famous stampede sequence in Dances with Wolves. And so Costner liked working with him and had passed on this movie based on how bad the script was, but then found out that Kevin Reynolds was attached to direct and said, of course I'll do it. I want to work with Kevin some more. But it's like, dude, if you were that bought into working on this movie and you hand-selected this movie specifically to work on it, then, like, what are you doing? Like, it's it seems like he can't be bothered to act in this movie. Yeah, there's not much emotion in anything that he does. And, and like... Even Maid Marian doesn't do a ton in this film, but she gives a way more convincing performance than Costner here. Yeah, no bueno. Yeah. How did you feel about about her in this film? Uh, I forgot she was in it until we started talking about her. Like she I think it's mostly the script. She shows up for a hot second and they have a little bit of banter and she covers for him while they escape. And I'm like, oh, she's going to be like a feisty, sassy Maid Marian. I like it. And then from that moment on, she's either a completely bland character or a completely helpless damsel. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, I know that Robin Hood is like one of the classic damsel type movies, but it really bothers me that they were trying to set her up as like, oh, she actually, she's in a suit of armor. She's fighting. She can kick some ass. And then they just completely move her back to like, no, no, no. She has no strength. (laughs) And she is a weak, weak person who will get dominated by Alan Rickman until Kevin Costner can save her. Yeah. Uh, although <laughs> the moment where they introduce her is incredible because Kevin Costner goes into the house and Marion's like lady in waiting emerges from the shadows and she is uh, a very homely woman. Sure. <laughs> if we'll put it nicely. <laughs> and Kevin Costner goes, oh, the, the years <laughs> the have, have been, been kind, kind to you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been the best Kevin Costner moment of the whole film. There are so many lines in this movie that are just so, so strange and have absolutely like there's a moment where Maid Marian is being attacked by, I don't know, some crony and (laughs) he pins her down. And what he chooses to say to her is, I've never seen the breasts of a noble woman. Yep. And that's that's it. it. That's all he says. (laughs) I think what? (laughs) 
It's incredible, man. I can't believe you liked this movie, dude. I just like, oh, it's so bad, Brad. When Alan Rickman looks to this, these two random girls sitting on the floor and goes, you, my room, 1030 tonight, and then points to the next one and goes, you, 1045 and bring a friend. (laughs) It's so bad. It's so bad, dude. All right. Listen, uh, let's get into our last segment of the day, because I have a movie that I would rather recommend than this one. That segment is called Let's Make It a Double. We're near the end of the episode, so thanks for listening to the Film and Whiskey Show. Let's pair another film with this one, even if it's a struggle. It's the final segment of the day, now let's make it a double. Let's Make It a Double is the part of the podcast where we pick a movie to pair up with this one to make the perfect double feature. Brad, I'm just going to get mine out of the way here. This movie and its success kind of kickstarted a wave of adapting material like this in Hollywood. And I would I would probably argue that Braveheart even benefited from this movie being as successful oh, yeah. as it was. Like, you probably don't get that movie greenlit unless this movie is the second highest grossing film of 91. However... There's a movie that came out in 93 that is made for children and does the swashbuckling better than this. It does the comedy better than this. It's shorter. It's more cohesive. And I would dare say has an even better villain performance than Alan Rickman in this movie. And that is the Walt Disney Company's film, The Three Musketeers. Hey, have you ever seen the Disney Three Musketeers? I have not. It is directly Disney's response to this movie. To the point where, like, you know, this movie on the soundtrack very famously had that uh, Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do It For You song. Uh, Disney brought Brian Adams back in the fold and paired him up with Rod Stewart and Sting to make a Three Musketeers song for their movie. Like, they're just directly ripping off this film. (laughs) The thing is, it's just a better movie. And if you're familiar with the Three Musketeers, Cardinal Richelieu, the bad guy in Three Musketeers, is played by Tim Curry. And yeah. dude, he gets the assignment. It's it's campy. It's villainous. It's like if you could take Scar from The Lion King and put him in human form, it's Tim Curry in that movie. I love The Three Musketeers. It's not great, but it is a hell of a lot better than this movie, Brad. <laughs> Honestly, I have a, a good friend of mine who that was like his childhood movie that he watched over and over and over again. And he still to this day loves the Three Musketeers from 1993. It's so, a good great movie. Pick here. You should check it yeah. out. Yeah. I'll have to watch it sometime. Bob, I think that my pick falls in the vein of ridiculous takes on medieval movies. Mm-hmm. I am going to recommend 2001's A Knight's Tale. Ooh, my boy Heath. A much better movie or, than this one. Or as you would call him, my boy Heathy Ledge. <laughs> uh what would I I think I might I might go with the initial H Ledge. Mm, okay. Yeah. He he is incredible in that film. Overall, I think both movies have a similar vibe. The the thing is a Knight's Tale knows what it's trying to be, and so it's a much more consistent film, and it doesn't try to be anything other than what it is, whereas I don't even know. <laughs> what Robin Hood is trying to be here, but it's great. Okay. I just, I I don't want to just dive right into final scores, but I feel like we have to. I would like for you to go first because you have acknowledged that this is a terrible movie. 
And you also had a great time. Yes. And I get that. I love watching a crappy movie every now and then. But this wasn't fun crappy to me. And so I would like for you to explain if this was fun crappy and where that puts it on your scale from one to ten, Brad. Bob, this was absolutely fun crappy. I enjoyed this movie like nine and a half out of ten on the enjoyment scale. If we actually scored out our movies like we do our whiskey with like categories and enjoyment was one of the categories that it would easily boost the score of this film. I will objectively say this is like a six out of ten movie. Like there's a lot of it that's bad. There are some good elements to the film. I actually think some of the action sequences are really well done near the end of the film. The scene of them invading Sherwood Forest and shooting off, you know, the fire arrows and the catapults, like it's effective action movie making. But overall, it's like a six out of 10 movie. It's a bad script. It's bad acting. It's it's all sorts of just wild stuff happening. I think I'm going to land at like an eight out of 10. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You just said it's a six and then followed it up with, but I'm going to give it an eight. Dude, this movie was wildly fun to watch. Uh, And I am going to, just based off pure enjoyment, give this an eight out of 10. Okay. Listen, I'm, I am half tempted to give it an even lower score just to, just to put you in your place, man. Okay. So. Uh, partway through this movie, I texted you and I said, like, this is legitimately a three to a three point five out of ten. Like, this is this is absolutely awful. I think I used the word appalling at one point. <laughs> it like truly is an ineptly made film until that last 40 minutes when they start the assault on the castle. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It's effective action movie making. I think it's a perfect word because it's not efficient. And it's not well done. It's not well shot. It's not well choreographed, but it's effective. They launch them, they launch them over a wall with a catapult. Oh, my God. And they go, ah! yeah. And you get the only use of the F word in the movie, which is, yep. I think, my favorite line in the whole movie. Like, it was oh. perfectly delivered. It's so good, man. <laughs> so that last stretch was hugely enjoyable. The problem is. The extended cut that we watched is like two hours and almost 40 minutes long. So you have two hours of absolute dreck followed by a very enjoyable like eight out of 10 ending. It boosted me from a three and a half to a five. I am at a five out of 10 on this movie. (laughs) It is like a perfect two star movie experience. Not even two and a half. Like acknowledging it kind of sucked, but I enjoyed myself at the end. Two out of ten or two out of four, which translates to five out of ten. That brings us to an average of a six point five out of ten, which I thought is crazy high. But on IMDb, it's at a six point nine. So we seem to be in (laughs) line with the population, Brad. Yeah, I was going to say, I think six point nine is a great place for this film. I think that this is a movie everybody needs to get like a group of friends and a bunch of cheap beer and just laugh at the asinine ridiculousness that is this film. All right, we would like to know what you think. First of all, I will be shocked if anyone even reaches out, because as far as I'm concerned, this movie does not exist. No one I know has seen this movie. (laughs) But if you've seen Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, let us know. You can find us on our social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, at Film Whiskey. 
Or you can join the Discord. We're on there every single day talking about absolutely anything going on in our lives, movie, whiskey, anything else. If you want to join the conversation, there's a link to our Discord at the end of every single one of our show notes. Next week, we are jumping into 1992 with another film that I've never seen front to back, and Brad has never seen at all. It's the movie Sister Act. So, you know, more light, frothy entertainment for us, Brad. I'm I'm really happy that we're not doing the dour, sour stuff that we usually do. Yeah, welcome to the 90s, man. Light and frothy. <laughs> all right, so join us next week for Sister Act. But until then, I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we'll see you next time. Bye.